Thank you for joining us. My name is Luke. I'm the registrar here at Calvary College, and I'm welcoming you to our new podcast, Squawk. You say, what in the world is Squawk? <laughs> it's student questions at Calvary College. And so we're here to squawk about other things that people have sent us for students. My guest today is Dr. Brian Nixon, and he serves as our school's chief academic officer. He's also just a very interesting fellow to talk to, and he's one of our most loved instructors at the school. So he's definitely one of the folks I wanted to have come in and answer some student questions for us today. Brian, can you tell me a little bit about yourself, how long you've been doing what you've been doing? Well, Luke, it's great to be on the inaugural podcast. So I'm, I'm thrilled for this. Thank you for brainstorming and putting this together. Definitely is needed. Podcasts are listened to by so many people. They may not read, but they'll listen. So bravo to you. To your question, a little bit about myself. Well, I've, I've been a Christian since 1980 and June of 1980. I was brought up in a, a, a church, but I was licensed to the ministry in another church that I was brought up. Hmm. And so actually it was a church of the brethren. And then, um, it was, I had to determine if I was going to do full time pastoral ministry or Christian education, because I got into Christian education. Well, here we are 30 plus years later, and Christian mm. education has been my main focus within my ministry. So I've been a teacher, administrator, principals, head of school, and college professor all along the way. So education is my passion point, and I feel it is um, you know, vitally needed in the world in which we live, particularly establishing a Christian worldview. So part of what I know we're trying to do is not only answer questions that students or people may have, but also to impart a Christian worldview, how to think Christianly about the world in which we live. So that's a little bit about me, but I'm going to turn it now on you, Luke, <laughs> because you're the host of this, and this was your brainchild. So tell, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, um, as stated, I'm the registrar of the college currently, so I'm the one who gets to look at all the grades for the students and do all that fun stuff, which I do greatly enjoy, actually. But as far as ministry experience, I was born into a Christian home. My mom and dad went to Bible college, and you know I was very, very young when that was going on. And then I saw them start dedicating their life to serve the Lord and sort of got caught up in the milieu of all the the things around church. And even though no church is perfect, and we went from one church to another after doing service there, my dad would typically be the choir director, my mom was the organist and the pianist, and whatever else the church needed, and the janitor, whatever we did, um, I saw a real heart of service in them and uh, was converted at a very young age and was just felt a draw to service in the church. And God began opening doors as I dedicated myself to prepare. So I got to serve as a youth pastor and as a college aging career director, as an assistant pastor, as an instrumentalist, all the stuff that um, the Lord just gave me all kinds of different opportunities. And those were all formative for me. Mm -hmm. And the people that were in charge of those ministries that allowed me to serve, what a great opportunity to be able to serve the Lord's church. And uh, then as opportunity opened up more, I went to Bible college in North Carolina and then completed a couple of other courses of study in Wisconsin and, and whatnot, and all of which I thought, wow, this 
you know, I don't know how this will all work, you know, or where I'm going to end up. And part of that I spent as a senior pastor and in Nebraska for a few years. And so just what I found more than anything else preparatorily for me was just saying, Lord, I want to serve. And I don't really care what the job title is, but I may not be particularly well equipped at this juncture in my life, but I'm going to trust you with that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to do what I can to prepare and I'll serve however you want me to. And it's led me all the way 20 years since my undergraduate to help do that in other people's yeah. lives that are struggling with some of the same questions and looking at the same preparation. You know, what I find interesting with both of our stories is education is a big part of, of them. You know, oh, you, you went through a lot of education, your bachelor's and your master's. And of course, I, I've taken a lot of education. And I know when I was, when I was pursuing education, I, you know, undergraduate, graduate, then postgraduate doctorate work, I, I, I always sought out not so much the institution. The institution didn't mean a whole bunch to me, let's say, but I was looking for individual teachers, people that I either respected or would make an impact in my life. So I was, I personalized it. So let me give you an example. The first seminary I went to, I won't say names here just to you know protect the innocent, so to say, <laughs> but but I was very keen to study with a professor, and his name is Dr. John Warwick Montgomery. And he was the leading evidentialist apologist and and you know classical theologian of, of his day. So I I went to that seminary to 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 study his works and graduated. Then later I said, well. There's another guy I've always wanted to learn from and glean from, and that was Dr. Norman Geisler. And so I went to the seminary uh, where Dr. Geisler was a professor. Um, of course, Dr. Geisler has since went home to be with the Lord. But in all of these endeavors, I, I really wanted not just to learn, fill my head, but to make it practical, to make it personal, and then hopefully you know, to go out and make an impact you know, in the world. And I know that's what we want with our students. You know, part of what we, you know, Calvary College is unique because, sure, we offer online classes like so many Bible colleges and seminaries do today, but we're still a brick and mortar Absolutely. institution where we want students to come and we love to meet those students and we love to have an impact. And hopefully that those students would go out and have an impact in their given area. I couldn't agree more to that, Brian. And I, you know, that's the perfect segue into actually getting into some of the student questions. Mm-hmm. There's always a lot of student questions from a lot of different angles. And so I had plenty of material to choose from. But one of the things I wanted us to dig into, and not necessarily, you know, even though we might be able to give a, a theological lecture, we definitely want the theological perspective. But um, what I found from students is that they're most interested in the individual journey Mm -hmm. that we may have gone through to understand how the Bible comports or affects this particular truth that we're talking about, whatever it may happen to be at the time. And so as we look at the question, let's, if we can, walk through how that's sort of personally affected us, maybe some of the views we held and how those maybe have changed, and then um, where where we're currently standing on that. And so a question, it's a very broad question, and so it opens up to several different categories we'll talk about here in a minute. But today's question I had that I thought was appropriate was, what happens to me when I die? Hmm. What happens to me 
when I die. Yeah. And there, there's, of course, a lot of different ideas out there. And there is a lot of struggling ideas. for that. And, and let me let me start off before you chime in, Luke. Let me let me give some of what I would call the historic options. Perfect. And then we could focus down on what we particularly Calvary College um, believe and what what we think the Bible teaches. But generally speaking, I tell all of my students, there are five major views of what happens when, when, mm. when people die. Um, generally speaking, evangelical Christianity believes either someone goes to heaven or someone goes to hell. But within that general broad brush sweep stroke paintbrush, there are really these five areas. And these are what are called the eternalist view. And the eternalist view believes that once a person dies, they eternally go to either heaven or hell. Then the second grouping is what we would call universal reconciliation. Universal reconciliation believes that a person dies, they either go to heaven or hell, but if they're in hell, there still is a chance for universal reconciliation, meaning they still have a chance to get out of, if you will, prison. So they their hell is conditional. So that's universal reconciliation. The third group is what we would call annihilists. And annihilists believe that when you die, if you're a Christian, you go to heaven. If you're not a Christian, you go to hell, but you cease to exist, hence annihilation, after a period of time. So unlike universal reconciliation, they universal reconciliation says you have the potential to be redeemed because God's not done with you. Eve, he's going to love you till the very, very last moment. Annihilationists say, no, once you're in hell, you're in hell, but you will, out of God's mercy, he's just going to let you cease to exist. The, the, so those, you know, those are the four so far, eternalists, universal reconciliation, um, annihilationist, and then then you have what we'd call the universalism. And that this is the idea that when you die, you go to heaven. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're good, bad, or in between. If you're Buddhist, Christian, um, Hindu, whatever, you die, you go to heaven. You know, death is basically your one-way ticket to heaven. Now, those are your, your four major views. And, and I said that there could be a fifth one because there's subcategories of Christian universalism that, that are nuances that I won't get into here. So, so I know that's a long answer, but generally evangelical Christianity teaches when you die, you either go to heaven or hell. But within those spheres, you have unique, specific ideas of what happens at that moment. So with that is the big picture, Luke. How would you address this question? Ah, well, I think there was a great introductory foundation there. I'd say that the first thing I would point out is that there isn't always a clear connection between the verses with which people might be familiar that address the subject and where some of the evangelical Christian community has landed. And I think the biggest part here is they have chosen – 
largely in the conditionalist or the annihilationist camp, they have chosen what we would call different governing verses. Mm-hmm. And it forces a different interpretation of the ones with which we're so familiar about, you know, the smoke of their torment ascendeth forever and ever. And so there's that that consideration where the theology or the body of theology may differ from texts that we feel explicitly govern that in a more conservative evangelical manner. So having considered this in particular, um, I'll, I'll just throw in some some personal anecdotal items here. Um, the way I was raised, and I'm, my mother was raised in the Brethren Church, so some of that's probably come down to me. I know mm-hmm. you mentioned that you were from the Brethren background, but um, in the conservative tradition that I was raised in, it was absolutely not even questionable. When you die, you go to either heaven or hell, and mm-hmm. it's forever. Mm-hmm. That's it. And that was actually one of the things that was instrumental in my conversion is that particular understanding that I felt very strongly convicted or convinced by, even as a very young child, not because someone was sitting there trying to make me scared. That was never the point. But that the truth of that resonated with me. I felt somehow that I would live forever somewhere. And that was really how the question was phrased is, well, if you're going to live forever because God made you a living soul, where's that going to be? Mm-hmm. And I began to look into the scriptures to find that out. And so the verses that seemed to be the most evident would be eternal separation from God or eternal fellowship with God, mm-hmm. one of those two. And I wanted to be with someone who loved me. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be with someone that not only said they loved me but proved that they loved me. And gave themselves for me. And as these truths began to resonate with me as I aged, um, by the time I was 15, I think I'd come to a pretty strong understanding of, okay, well, where do I fit in all of this theology, all of this doctrine? You know, where do I land? Do I want to take the chance that, you know, maybe I can live my life for myself and maybe eventually I'll make my way to heaven if I repent enough or if I've paid for enough? And none of those really seemed like genuine places for me to land. I just, I, I thought it's either all or nothing. That's sort of who I am. Mm-hmm. And I thought, why not now? What am I waiting for? If this is a good thing, then why not now? And that translated directly into what I had understood the scriptures to communicate. So that's where I land on it. I, honestly, the way that I was taught originally, I dug into that and then ended up landing in much the same place and I haven't found anything yet that's greatly convincing, having studied Fudge and his uh, The Fire That Consumes was one of the primary articulations of the annihilationist, conditionalist view. I found it inherently unconvincing. But there's others who mm-hmm. find it convincing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, what's interesting, you know, Calvary College, one of our tenets is we're a textual community that we're a community that surrounds a text. Yes. The Latin of that is communitatist textual. And that concept really is a medieval concept whereby a group or community of people surrounded itself uh, uh, around a text. And in this case, our textual community, we surround the Bible. So I think it's always fitting and right for us to turn to the Bible when we're addressing these. But as you, you, know, uh, you know, eloquently pointed out, Luke, that not everyone has the same interpretation 
of yes. that text. But I think there's there's three things that become very clear when we look at the text. And I think it would take a lot of mental gymnastics to get around this three things I'm going to say. First of all, we clearly understand that the Bible teaches that there is a hell or a, a place of the departed, be it Sheol or Hades of the Old Testament, be it Gehenna of the New Testament. The Bible teaches that there is a place. So generally speaking, we, we have to go to the text and say, well, the text, the Bible, clearly states that there is a place of heaven and a place of hell. But secondly, as Christians, we have to look at Jesus. And I don't think there would be a legitimate scholar who looks at the corpus of Jesus's teachings in life that would say that he did not reference hell or heaven. So clearly Jesus taught that there was a heaven and that there was a hell. So big picture, the Bible teaches there's a heaven and a hell. Specifically, Jesus teaches there's a heaven and a hell. And then thirdly, when we look at the rest of the New Testament beyond the Gospels, it's without a shadow of doubt that the other New Testament writers believed that there was a heaven and a hell. The issue that many point out that you talked about, the conditionalist that you know, you're only for a, a while in hell, comes into interpretation. But I really don't think there would be a qualified or a, a scholar who would just say, no, the Bible doesn't teach there's a hell, because I think that would be doing an injustice to the biblical uh, record. So from a textual standpoint, we would have to say that there's definitely a heaven and a hell. But then specifically back to the question, I would use, a, 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 and I would only use this in relationship to a believer, but Paul is very clear. Now, of course, Paul is not Jesus, but he is one of the most prolific New Testament authors. He says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So that is a very loaded statement, as you could imagine. To be absent in the body, a.k.a. you've died, is to be present with the Lord. So for the believer, the moment we die, according to Paul, is the moment we are absent in our body, our soul, our spirit has left the body, we are present with the Lord. Now, as you know, Luke, there's, there's great debate as to where the soul goes. Is it, is it paradise? Is it heaven? Is it a holding place? Is it soul sleep? And these are things maybe we'll get on in a, a future broadcast. That's not for this broadcast. But I think the clearest teaching we have from Paul is to be absent in the body, is to be present with the Lord. So for the believer, the moment you die, and if we believe Paul, and I do believe Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so the moment you die, you are with the Lord. Be it if that's paradise, or you know, working towards the new heavens and new earth, however that looks in God's economy, in God's spatial sphere, I believe the moment a believer dies, he or she is with the Lord. And so well said, Brian. I love the fact because that you mentioned the word spatial. There is something inevitably locked, 
locative. There's something of location Mm -hmm. that's more than just a metaphorical spiritual truth, that there's somehow some form of of unity that is to not be in one place and to be somewhere else, which comports with the scripture that there are eternal destinies um, where we can expect that we will be based on whether or not we've placed our faith in Christ. And uh, it's so excellent the way that that Paul says that. it leaves very little wiggle room, regardless, as we said, of the peripheral ideas that are out there. Um, so in this regard, so far, what we've looked at, what happens to me when I die? As a believer, we're looking at being with the Lord. Mm-hmm. There was an old hymn, I remember, it said, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. And while we may not necessarily know the exact location in the sense that we think of location, we will be with him. Mm-hmm. And what a great truth that that is. Uh, It's interesting, Luke, that, you know, throughout Christian history, there's been various views. You know, we I, I, I opened up with those four main ones and then said there's a, a, a variation of Christian universalism that's different than, let's say, main universalism. But there, those four main views have, have been held throughout, you know, church history. I recently, just this weekend— went up to Santa Fe to see the play The Great Divorce, oh, of course, the book by C.S. C.S. Lewis. And a lot of people, a lot of evangelicals always go, boy, you know, is C.S. Lewis talking like a purgatory area? You know, because it's not hell, it's not heaven, it's kind of this waiting place. And then all of a sudden you have George MacDonald, the great Scots uh, writer, you know, kind of leading this person through what appears to be purgatory. Now, we can't use a novel and say that this is the whole scope of what C.S. Lewis believes about it. But what it is indicative of and what it shows us is that different people have different views of this, you know, what hell or this purgation period will be throughout history. Of course, we know the Roman Catholics call it purgatory. Um, different people have different names for it. But I think what you really can't argue with, at least as a textual people, is that for the believer, there isn't a period of purgation. There isn't going to hell. For the true believer, the person who has received Christ as Lord, as Savior of their life, has placed their trust, their faith upon him, and by God's grace has adopted them into you know, his family. For that person, there isn't a way, a holding ground, you know, like C.S. Lewis portrays, or there isn't a purgatory like the Roman Catholics, um, you know, pretend. What there is, is there's just immediate bliss. You know, what, you know, Imago Deo, you're seeing the face, uh, you know, at least the face of, of Christ. I think it's such a great call out, particularly for our location, that the Catholic doctrine of catechism is so strong. And I think that this question may very well have arisen from some of those concerns. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pope John Paul II in his book, Crossing the Threshold of Hope, talked about, well, where does this, you know, place the general Christian? And he himself stated that he had no hope of escaping purgatory himself, Mm -hmm. even as one who claims to be the vicar of Christ, whatever our doctrinal disagreements are. But as a religious system that accounts for a large majority of people who are considered to be within the realm of Christendom, the idea that to be absent from the body is really not to be present with the Lord is very prominent in that articulation. And so I think knowing 
the scriptures are our authority right. about what our eternal destiny. They're the only viable record that we have, and we can truly believe it to where if Christ's work is finished and we have appropriated that through faith, there is nothing left for us to pay. There is nothing left that must be dealt with. He has done it all. That's right. And uh, that that is what really gives us the security about where we end up when we die. That's exactly right. And and again, uh, not to to debate or to discourage our, our Roman Catholic um, brethren and friends. Um, this isn't debate against Roman Catholicism at this juncture. Right. But what I, I hear often is that, you know, well, the Roman Catholic Church is the oldest church. And, you know, that's, of course, very debatable. You know, the Eastern Orthodox Church will debate that. Um, others will debate that. The Celtic Christian expression will debate that. So there's lots of different people historically that would debate that. But there's something you said, Luke, that I think it's important for our audience to to hone in on. The New Testament is our earliest record of faith yes. and practice. So I don't care when the Roman Catholic Church started or when the Protestants started or Eastern Orthodoxy started. It all began and was birthed out of this community of believers that yes. eventually, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned the New Testament, which are our earliest documents. So when people come and say, well, my church teaches this, and they're the oldest church, I go, well, they're not older than the New Testament. Exactly. The, old, the New Testament is our oldest record of faith. So what we, as good students, need to be doing is, to the best of our ability, studying that text, the Bible, the textual community, a, a group of people that are surrounding the text and trying to understand it with humility. And I, I believe in what I call a humble hermeneutic. My interpretation is not gospel. It's not perfect. I can and will be wrong when my interpretation. But when I go to the text to find what I believe is God's truth or God's answer or where God's pointing me to, I think that is the best means forward is to go back to the text and let the text speak for itself and then try to understand it to the best of my ability. Again, a great articulation of that. And, and that's the great thing about Calvary College is that we are able to be part of a ministry mm -hmm. who has a track record of being a textually based community, mm -hmm. not just it's one of the authorities. It is the authority mm -hmm. for our faith and practice. And so in all of the endeavors, as we seek to prepare folks, students, as as you who are listening to this cast perhaps are thinking about your own preparation, anything that comes down to these types of decisions, you know, what happens to me when I die? You know, what about near-death experiences? What about deathbed conversions? All of these related questions that we won't have time to get to today, but I promise we will get to those in future casts. The Bible has something to say about it, and it's worth knowing because mm -hmm. that's where your peace comes from. That's where your foundation comes from. So if you're one of those folks who is considering the next step of Christian preparation, consider Calvary College mm -hmm. because the way that we've handled this question, the way that we've thought about this, our own personal experiences, and where we currently stand theologically is something that we are intent on delivering to you something that you'll have to wrestle with, but you'll be able to do that safely in a classroom with people who care about you and also care about the scriptures and care about where you land. So I hope you've enjoyed the first cast of Squawk 
And if you have your questions and you want those questions featured, send them to us at calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. That's calvary.college at calvaryabq.org. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time. I promise you we're going to have even more relevant content as you continue to give us things to speak to. Have a great day.